Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. So one of my favorite verses, if you will, out of the book of Acts, I've memorized this one probably about one year into uh, my faith journey with Jesus. So I'm going back some 35 years ago when I memorized this verse, and I've pondered this one over the years, and it's Acts 17, 11. And I love this verse, and it says that the people there in Berea, they were much more noble-minded and open-minded than those over in Thessalonica. It says they listened eagerly to what Paul was teaching. And it says that they examined the scriptures daily, carefully combed through the scriptures daily to see if what was being taught was truth or not. And I believe that we need to be people like those in Berea where there's so many postmodern and pluralistic and so many thoughts and ideas being thrown at us every day. And I would tell you whatever is being said, no matter who's saying it, whether it's me, whether it's Nick, whether it's Chad, whether it's Dallas, whoever, I would say, hey, listen eagerly. Listen, listen, listen. whether it's your favorite uh, TV guy, whether it's your favorite podcaster, listen eagerly, examine thoroughly to what you're, uh, what you're being exposed to. We, we, we want to be people of truth. We want to know the truth. We want to stand on the truth. We want to be able to rightly and accurately handle the word of truth. So I share that verse with you to say, hey, I want to encourage you to memorize this one, uh, not just because of it being a cool verse, but for the application of it to say, hold on, I, I need to listen eagerly comb through the scripture to make sure that what I say I believe and what I'm listening to is truth, okay? So, great verse. Now, picking it up in Acts 17, uh, starting in verse 16 today, uh, interesting, interesting chapter here to me. The scripture says Paul was deeply, uh, let's go back to verse 16a, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. This is where this verse starts. So he's waiting for for Timothy and Silas. Paul had started, if you will, part of this segment of his missionary journey in a place called Thessalonica. Uh, those in Thessalonica uh, were, were harsh with him, didn't want to hear the gospel message, had chased him out of Thessalonica. He makes his way over to Berea. He's doing ministry there. The, uh, many of these Thessalonian people had come against him there all this harsh treatment in Berea. So he's like, you know what? I'm just going to head on down to Athens. So he's in Athens waiting for his two sidekicks that he's doing ministry with, Silas and, and Timothy. Okay, And while he was in Athens, the scripture says, Paul was deeply troubled. His heart was troubled big time by all of the idols he saw everywhere in the city. You go back some 2,000 years ago, Athens was known for all of these small g gods that they worshiped. There were idols everywhere. Idolatry was kind of the, uh, the norm of that day. And we go on to read that while Paul is there, he's noticing all this stuff. And to keep with his pattern, he went to the synagogue to reason with the God-fearing Jews, as well as some of the God-fearing Gentiles. And the scripture says he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So if you study Paul's pattern, he goes in, he's paying attention of where he's at, 
He's noticing certain things of culture, of where he's at. And his pattern is, on the Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue. He's there with these God-fearing people, mostly Jewish people. Uh, most of these people have never even uh, probably considered a relationship with Christ. He reasons with these people, and he shares the gospel. That's his pattern pretty much every city he goes in. You watch him. He goes to a town, finds the synagogue, goes in and reasons, and he shares Christ. Now, this is where it starts to pick Pick up speed, verse 18. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and the resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas that he's picked up? Others said, he, he seems to be preaching about some foreign small g gods. All right, so Paul is there having a philosophical debate, really, with two main camps. You've got the Epicureans, and the Epicureans of that day were hedonists. Here's what a hedonist means. They were all about the pursuit of pleasure. Uh, I remember when Trevor, my friend, was here, he introduced me to uh, the acrostic YOLO. I'd never heard it. I guess it's a catchphrase amongst the kids, but it's like, hey, you only live once. That would have been a phrase that these Epicureans would have used in that day. You only live once. Go for the gusto. Live for you. Whatever you want to do, chase it. Find pleasure. The reason you exist is just to enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry. Chill. Don't worry about it. That philosophy exists today. But that was a prominent philosophy, if you will, in Paul's day when he arrives in Athens and then now uh, he talks about he was reasoning with the Stoics. The Stoics were pantheists. The, st the Stoics would be like the Hindus today. God is in everything. And, and, and these Stoic-style people, if you will, uh, they valued self-control, being poised, not showing emotion. Their philosophy of that day was pain doesn't bother me and pleasure doesn't seduce me. They had this void of emotion profile. So you've got these hedonists and you've got kind of this Hindu thing uh, going on with these two groups. And idols were everywhere. Every person there in Athens worshipped something, bowed to something. All these small G gods, they're lost. They're, they're, they're contemplating what is the meaning of man. All this philosophical thought, where can we find answers? And that's a lot of what's going on in America today. People are searching for hope, searching for meaning, searching for answers. There was a saying in that day in Athens, and it was, it's easier to find a God than it is to find a man. There were so many gods being worshipped at that time. Small G gods, we'll unpackage some of those, but it's crazy. Athens, uh, during this time, was known as the intellectual capital, if you will. It was the hub of intellectualism. And you start to look back and they had kind of like the Harvard, uh, the Harvard or the Cambridge of that day. They had so many books and so many libraries and so much information that was made available to these people. And the pursuit of knowledge in Athens was the king. Hey man, you need to be as smart as you can. And, and, and they're all about pursuing knowledge, but they were ignorant of truth. And, and, and it's crazy. Even after this time 
Uh, Athens would remain the intellectual hub where these rock stars like Aristotle and Socrates and Plato, they all came out of Athens. So it was known for their, their intellectualism, but it was also a place known for arts and athletics and sports. There was a huge coliseum there in Athens, and they would have all these big Ithmus games and different things that would take place uh, in Athens. And the first ever, the original Olympics, comes out of Athens. And when Paul looks at all this mess, man, you guys are pursuing knowledge and information and academics, which it has its place, and you're so just enamored with athletics and art and music and pleasure. His heart was broken as he looked over the city. And, and, and there's so many people around us every day that are just worshiping these small G-gods. And, and it's America today, right? People just worship music and worship concerts and worship art and worship sports and you name it. Anything that we can substitute for God, man almost worships. And I don't know about you, but I'm in a place now where I start to look at my friends and others and I see the amount of money and the amount of time and the amount of energy that they give to so many things that does not last. And I'm like, I'm heartbroken over that. I came out of a culture where I dealt, if you will, and ministered to entertainers, whether they were professional baseball, football, whether they were comics, whether they were singers. And I come out of that, and all these people just so enamored. So many people are just spending their money and their time getting wasted in Margaritaville, just saying, man, we're having the time of our life. And I look, and there's so many people that are empty, and they're lost, and they're hurting. And so when Paul stands up sarcastically in a derogatory way, they look, and they're like, so what's this babbler going to share with us? And the word babbler in that day was the portrait, if you will, the picture. Nathan, I love this. It was the picture, if you will, of a bird that would fly down and pick up seed but would spit out the seeds before he ever digested them. And so the, the, the phrase, look at that babbler. He comes in with this information that he's never digested. It's not his own. He picked up this clever idea from somebody else, and he's going to come in here and try to be a cool wordsmith and fascinate who we are. And that's the culture in which we find ourselves living today. I mean, with the Internet, and information is at our fingertips today. And we've got so many people that have this useless information. They get in there and they're like, you're not going to believe what I read. And you're not going to believe what I read. And you're not going to believe what I read. But they never digest it. They don't know what they believe, why they believe it. They haven't struggled through it. We pick up seeds at times and just spit them out. And this was the, the cesspool, if you will, that Paul is dealing with. All these people had these bright thoughts, whether it was about politics or whether it was about athletics or whether it was about the latest, greatest book to read. And everybody had an idea, and they're sitting around, and Paul comes in, and they're like, what's this old babbler going to say? And Paul was the only one not babbling. Paul was the only one who had anything of substance. Paul, what he's about to share, is going to bring Life change if they're open to it. Can I challenge you today? Maybe you've been around church culture. 
Maybe you've tried to live on borrowed convictions and hand-me-downs from your parents, but I will tell you this, we must know what we believe. We must know why we believe it. We must struggle through and digest the Word of God. You can't hit the streets on Monday morning saying, well, Tim said. You've got to be convinced. God said it. It is inside of me. I've been chewing on this. I've been processing this. I've been breaking down the nutrients of the word. So what's this old babbler going to say? You got it. Verse 19, they took Paul to the high council of the city. We're going to take you before what would be considered their Sanhedrin, their highest council of people. Come and tell us about this new teaching. You're saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. I mean, these philosophers would sit around, and they would debate and argue and dialogue. But the thing is, they were always looking for some new small G God that they could add to their already large menu of small G gods. Well, we're going to entertain this dude because he's saying something we've never heard, but we'll just add it to our menu of all these other gods he's got a new philosophy he's got some new knowledge so paul verse 22 standing in the midst of the high council he said uh, men of athens i perceive that you are very very religious in every way hey hey hey, hey guys Y'all are very religious, some of the translations would say. I see y'all are very superstitious. Others would say, I, I see y'all are spiritual. Uh, but what he's basically saying is, I I've been around here for a while, and I've been noticing y'all, and I notice I'm going to establish some common ground that y'all worship something, but the reality is we all worship something. The problem is we just worship the wrong something. That's where Paul goes in this conversation. I, 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 I've been paying attention to y'all. Y'all are some religious people, and the word religious means to return to bondage. Y'all have found another avenue of bondage to participate in. Yeah, yeah, I, I was paying attention to it. He finds common ground, but every conversation he gets into is going to head in the same direction. He's going to take it to the place of talking about Jesus and talking about the resurrection. Every story we read, Paul goes, I'm going to find some, I'm going to find some common areas here with you, but we're about to share Christ. So he starts in verse 23 by saying, you know, as I was walking the streets here in Athens, and as I was just kind of interacting with people here in Athens, and I, as I was just kind of doing life here over the last days and weeks, I noticed many shrines, many statues, many idols, many images. But, but while I was walking the streets and noticing these different shrines, I noticed y'all got one over here with the inscription that says, to the unknown God. There's my end. They have one set aside to an unknown God. He makes this statement. This God whom you worship in ignorance. Root word of the word ignorance is to ignore. This one right here, this unknown God that you've ignored, that you haven't given any time to, that you haven't pursued, that you haven't contemplated, this is the one I'm telling you about. 
this unknown God was their kind of escape route that mm, there might be a God that we don't know about. Uh, just in case there's another God we haven't considered to this unknown God. And so you've got a picture in this day, all these shrines, all these idols, all these images. And Paul is like, I, I, I see where your hearts are. And there were all these images scattered throughout Athens at that time that rec represented the struggles of man. So many of these images was all about the struggle in the heart of man, the struggle to find purpose, the st struggle to find life, the struggle on how to do life. And Paul sees all of this and he goes, I'm about to share with y'all the answer to your struggle. I'm about to share with y'all about the one who can set you free. I'm about to share with you about the God that's unknown to you, that can be known by you, that can radically change everything about you. This is the text, guys. So he goes on to say in verse 24, this unknown God is the God who made the world. This unknown God that you're ignoring, he's the one that made everything in the world. Since he's Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. Human hands can't serve his needs because he don't have no knees. He gives life. He gives breath. The very fact that you've got breath and life comes from him. He gives breath. He gives life. He satisfies every need. And from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, and he decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall, and he determined their boundaries. So Paul points out some major problems right out of the gate. Think about this. He says, basically, does it make any sense that the God who created everything could be contained in a temple? Does it make any sense that the God who created everything could be reduced down to an image, to a trophy, to a book, to a philosophy? Think about it, guys. Y'all are philosophical, sharp people. Does it make any sense that the God who created everything could be reduced down to this building? God doesn't dwell in buildings made with human hands. Nothing human can do, can house who God is. That's the point he's making. He's going to talk about the silver and gold and stones here in a bit. You, you can't contain him. And his point is, the real God is not restricted by the boundaries that you've tried to place around him. You go back and study the culture of this day. It's like, guys, your God has boundaries. Every one of your small G gods has restrictions. They had the earth God and the water God and the alcohol God and the sex God and you name it. They had all these gods and goddesses that they worshipped. And the point he's making is the one true God created everything and is so far sovereign and supreme do y'all not know who he is? Are y'all not contemplating the real God? 
Are you not contemplating the God that created you, that created the cosmos, that created the heavens and the earth and the stars? Y'all are missing him because you've you've manufactured these small g-gods. And the second observation I would say Paul was making here is the greatest pursuit in life is is to discover and know the one true God. Guys, that's what you're pursuing. That's what really you want, right? And every one of these small g pagan gods, Drew, that they worshiped was always to lead them to something else. So, so, oh, you you need to go worship Artemis. Oh, you're broke. You you, you need to hook up financially. So Artemis was the goddess of, of money and prosperity. And people would go over to this shrine, to this idol, and, and worship Artemis when they needed a financial hook-me-up. Oh, that's who you need. That's a flawed system. Athena was the goddess of, of knowledge. Oh, oh, you need a little bit more info. You need a little wisdom and knowledge. You need to go worship Athena. Oh, then they had the goddess Nike. Oh, you want, you want to be fast and you want to be strong? You, you want to have victory? You want to be a champion? One of the goddesses that they worshipped was Nike. Imagine that. Like, so what kind of shoes are you wearing today? But that was the fallacy, Carl, way back. If you wear this shoe, you'll run faster and you'll jump higher and you can. It was one of the goddesses. And then you had Aphrodite that was the goddess of sex, beauty, fertility. Oh, you, 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 you want to hook up some chick with some chick? You need to go over there and pray to Aphrodite. Maybe she'll hook you up. Stop! Stop, I'm telling you right now, the goddesses and the small g gods that were worshipped in Athens are worshipped today. You've got this God of money and materialism. You've got this God of saying, man, hey, just read another book and gain more knowledge. Oh, we bow at the altars of athleticism. Oh, man, this is the greatest player of all time. Arts, entertainment, you name it. And I can tell you, if you look at money, you look at knowledge, you look at a championship, you look at sex, they're all empty. They all have an expiration date. And Paul's emphasis is this. The greatest pursuit in life is to know the one true God. Walk with him in an intimate way, Heather. It is the greatest pursuit. And then to be used by God to make him known to others. This is the debate that Paul is having. This is one of my favorite chapters so far. Verse 26. Paul looks and says, Do you not realize from the one man, Christ Jesus, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth? And his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way back to God toward him and find him. He's not far from any of us. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about all these things in earlier times. But now, he commands everyone, everywhere, 
to repent of their sins and turn to Christ, to turn to him. He has set a day for judging each and every one of us, judging the world with justice by this man, Christ Jesus, is the emphasis that he's appointed. And he proved it to everyone who this is by causing him to be raised from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, and others said, all right, we need to hear some more about this. Paul lays out, it's all about Jesus. God has conquered death, hell, and the grave through Jesus. You're looking for answers. You've been going to the wrong small g gods. You've been going to knowledge. You've been going to money. You've been going to victory. You've been going to sexual pleasure. You've been going to drugs. You've been going to stop, st stop. You need to know God. We've got to know God. We've got a desire to walk intimately with God through faith and repentance. That's what he said. God has done all of this. He wanted you to search him. He wants you to find him. He wants you to know him. Let me give you some practical thoughts. And I want you to consider these, please. First thing I would say is this. Refuse to empower idolatry. Refuse to empower idolatry. When you start to think of Paul walking the streets of Athens, I can tell you that these handmade, man-made, impressive structures, they did not woo him, wow him, impress him, or intimidate him in any way. If anything, when Paul saw all this stuff, it aroused in him the need to stand up, step out, and speak truth to point these people toward hope. You look around us today, it's some of the largest structures. And large structures oftentimes tell you where idols are being worshipped. Back to Athens. Did y'all hear me? Back to Athens. Not Greece. Look at Sanford Stadium. Look at the madness that will happen there over these next... 14 weeks or whatever. Look at Truist Park. It breaks my heart. I come out of a life where I was in bondage to idolatry because of sports. But it breaks my heart when people can tell me more about Austin Riley's stats than they can about Jesus' life and they claim to be a follower of Christ. It breaks my heart when people know more about Herschel's stats of the early 80s than they do the writings of the Apostle Paul. Look at cruise ships. Look at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You look around us and say, where are people giving their time, their money, uh, their money and their energy to? I was a slave to idolatry. I don't speak as a dude who's distant. I speak as a guy that was saturated and controlled by the athletic world. Baseball grabbed me. I empowered that sport, that small G God is an idol in my life. I went to bed thinking about it. I would wake up. I was talking to a friend earlier that was in the first service. He pitched four years at Georgia Tech. Still a young man. 
when things were going pretty good, were cruising. All of a sudden, you have a bad game or two bad games. He told me, he said, I remember waking up at 3.30, going to the batting cage, throwing baseballs at 3.30 in the morning, trying to work on my release point. Remember we said idolatry is anything that controls my attention, my affection, and my adoration. Dallas, we've talked about it. Even playing football, coming through high school, and being able to play collegiately, you know as well as I do, it grips us. Our identity, our worth, our values, everything about us was driven. I'm not speaking as a person that hasn't been there. I'm speaking about the ruins that it causes inside the soul when you allow anything to replace only the place that Jesus deserves. And we live in a culture today where people are bowing to this. I had a guy tell me not long ago, hey, when I die, I just want them to play the Georgia fight song. And I thought, how is that working for you? And so many people that I talk to as we look around our world today, they're sick and they're so frustrated with the world and the culture and Man, it's just going to hell in a handbasket, dude. To hell with this world. If that's your attitude, you need to repent because God's called us to be in the world but not be of it. If we would stop and pay attention and observe and notice what people are pursuing, why are they pursuing that? They're looking for love and acceptance and worth and significance. They're crying out for meaning. Uh, wh where is their direction? At least I've got some community over here. When we tailgate and get sloshed, at least there's community there. But then it leaves me empty and dry. And I'm telling you right now, stop. What are people worshiping? What are they bowing down to? The, journal, uh, the British journalist G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite quotes from him I read years ago, Chesterton said that every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. I read that quote and I thought, that is fascinating. Because every man that knocks on the door of a brothel, that knocks on the door of a locker room, that knocks on the door of financial wealth, that knocks on the door of another fix is convinced that what's on the other side of that door is going to make me happy, make me whole, give me satisfaction. And Jeff, we continue to pursue the things of the world, and we're left empty, we're left hollow, we're left shattered because we continue to pursue the things that are void of God. And man... When Paul is speaking to these people, they're flooded with idolatry, and our neighbors are flooded with idolatry, and our co-workers are flooded with it. We need to stop, pay attention, and study the culture that you're in. Paul's heart was, I've watched the patterns of Athens. I've studied some of the culture. I've studied some of the things that are happening here. And the reason I've done it is because I want to be able to share the gospel but I need to find those common areas of conversation with you. It's interesting to me that oftentimes when people go on the mission field, they'll get together with a mission group, and oftentimes they 
They're going to spend weeks and they're going to spend months and even possibly years studying the culture that they're about to go to because they know if they're going to be an effective witness with the gospel, they've got to know, where am I going? Who am I going to be speaking with? And my prayer is that every person that would ever engage in missions globally would have the same passion to study the culture that they live in now so that they can penetrate it and infiltrate it now. You see, I want to know, where am I going? Who am I going to be with? So when I came to faith in Christ, I came to faith while I was in baseball. And I had an understanding of that culture, and I knew how that fraternity worked, and I knew some of the felt needs, and I knew some of the struggles, and I knew some of the tension that would happen in some of the games within the game of baseball. And I'm like, okay. And so I go into there, and I'm like, all right, you fit there. But all of a sudden, this door swings open to say, hey, we want you to do a weekly study with the Atlanta Falcons. And I go there, and I'm like, oh, this is under the sports umbrella. But I can tell you that the football culture was way different than the baseball culture. In baseball, they play 162 games a year. Half hour before the game, a dude might be eating a Snickers, man, drinking a Dr. Pepper, firing in a dip of Copenhagen. I go over here with these football dudes. They're banging their heads up against the wall. They play 16 times a year. They're all amped up and geeked. And, man, there was some common stuff, but, man, it was way different. These dudes over here, man, are stressed out. Man, they're ready to strap it on. And I'm like, oh, look at that. And then all of a sudden, I start hanging out over here, and it's like, oh, I'm hanging out with Jeff Foxworthy, and I start meeting Ron White and Bill Ingvall and Larry the Cable Guy, and I'm like, oh, these comics, man, they're way different than this group and way different than this group. And, and then I started hanging out in the musician realm when Mac Powell's like, dude, hey, man, would you mentor me? And I start hanging out with them dudes, and I'm like, I remember we went to a concert in Arizona years ago when Third Day was playing in David Crowder opened up, and my buddy Ned Yost, this is the first time Ned had ever gone to like a concert, Christian concert, and we're sitting there, and these guys are worshiping, and these guys are legit. And I, I elbowed Ned, and I said, Ned, if you took Crowder and Mac Powell and combined them together, you couldn't get an athletic gene out of them. <laughs> but oh, are they good. But do you know that was a different culture? Well, if you're going to hang out with those guys and do ministry with those guys, you, you need to get to know the culture that they're a part of, right? You need to get to know some of the, the language and lingo and lifestyle. And I would tell you, we've got to refuse to empower idolatry, but if we're going to be salt and light, pay attention to where you're at. Pay attention to the people around you. Pay attention to different cultures. And then the second thing is find that common ground as quick as you can. You remember Jesus in John 4, he's dialoguing with this woman at the well. Woman at the well. And guess what they talked about? Water. Shocker. What was she there for? Common ground. What did Paul find? The common ground. These people are worshiping something. Ask questions. Everybody, ask questions. I, I mean, reality is every person is searching for something. Hey, man, where are you from? Taylor, where do you go to church? Tell me about your family, Taylor. Come on, bro. And we get to know each other just by how long you've been doing this kind of work. 
What got you into it? You can do it. It's not rocket science. If it was, disqualified. I mean, you start to just stop. And before long, you will find out what a person values. You start asking questions. Hey, man, what makes you come alive? What makes you happy? Where do you spend most of your leisure time? Really? You find out, Michael, about him. It's just like, cool, I'm finding common ground. At least I know how to relate. And I've, I've challenged our staff and challenged our people. When you're standing in the lobby, just stop. Notice. Observe. Just listen. What's happening here? What's going on here? What can we learn? Is somebody hurting? Somebody ha what can I learn? Another thing I would tell you is three, sometimes we have to expose how inferior life without Jesus is with other people. I mean, people start to talk to you. Well, I've been doing this and doing that, and I'm doing fine. Really? How's that working for you? Well, dude, I, got, I mean, I got a lot of debt right now. And uh, about to lose my truck and my house, but I'm doing fine. I'm like, so how's that working for you? We do that with health. We do that with finances. We do that in parenting. We do that with whatever. Somebody starts to talk. It's like, so you're drinking 100 beers a, a week. Wow. I'm not a good math major, but dude, that's got to be at least over eight cases or uh, eight. Eight times 12, eight 12s right there, man. You, you pounding pretty good, huh? How's that working for you? How's them hangovers? You didn't mention how much money you're spending on Advil. How's that working for you? Find common ground. One of the things we do in conversation, though, is when people start to talk, just expose how inferior their pursuit of their small G God is. How's that working for you? Huh. Let them talk. And then I would tell you, our lives are incomplete without the awareness of the Lord. Rick made this statement the other day. I wrote it down. I said, that is right on. Our lives are so incomplete without the awareness of the Lord in our lives every day. Last thing I would tell you is proclaim the gospel. Paul had a one-track mind. We're going to share Christ, but how do I get there? And you got all these other false religions that are not working, and every false religion has the same premise. It's a, an accurate view of God. You're not viewing God accurately. And I will tell you that the real God, the one true God, the infinite, all-knowing, all-wise God is unexplainable. I'm going to explain God to you. That's arrogant. I'm learning every day. There's things about God I ain't got a clue about. There's things about God, Hazel, that he's unfolding to me every day. Well, here's something, Pastor, I want you to explain to me. Oh, that's an arrogant question that you're already posing, and you're going to put me in a position where I'm supposed to explain this aspect of God to you? Evelyn Underhill said, if God were small enough to be understood, then he would not be big enough to be worshipped.
Now, you help me understand this. I've had people say that to me over the years. I need you to help me understand something. I'm like, I turned in that fourth member of the Trinity card a long time ago. You're going to have to struggle with God. You're going to have to wrestle with God. You need to fast. You need to pray. You need to have a breakthrough with God yourself. Let me wrap it up. All right. I find this fascinating that I like what J.D. Greer said. He said the gospel is just an announcement. It's not an explanation. When you think about the philosophical thoughts and all this stuff that's going on, the gospel is this great announcement. I announce to you great news of great joy that will be for all people. For today born in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and he will save his people from his sin. It was an announcement. It was an announcement where Jesus is God. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the only one that can save us. I would answer and challenge you to answer this. Is Jesus really who he says he is? Is Jesus Christ really who he claimed that he was? Remember when Jesus takes the disciples to Caesarea Philippi and they're standing there where all this pan worship is happening and the place was called the gates of hell and Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, hey, hey guys, who do you say that I am? I think the most important question ever to answer is, who do you say Jesus is? It's the first time I've been in church Tim in a long time. Great, who do you say Jesus is? Oh, I've been hanging out in church for 30 years. Great. Who do you say Jesus is? We must all answer the question, who is Jesus? Religion and even philosophy will ask the question, who's right? What is right? The gospel says, John Mark, who's Jesus? Who, who, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Religion and philosophy will say, uh, so what's true? The gospel says, hey, hey, what are you going to do with the resurrection of Jesus? What are you going to do with that? When people get into all these debates and arguments, I've been there. They want to talk about the book of Eli, and they want to talk about this, and they want to talk about some random concept that some bootleg scholar is trying to present about the book of revelation i go great who do you say jesus is what do you think about his resurrection what do you think about that one because there's going to be debates and there's going to be all this tension that people try to get away from jesus here's another one religion will ask what does god want from us you got it the gospel it declares hey look at what God's done for you religion will always believe that a payment is necessary from man in order to connect with God the gospel of Jesus Christ goes look at what God has done through the gospel look at what God has done through Christ look Religion will say, what do I need to do to gain God's acceptance? And the gospel says, look at the sacrifice God made so he could have a relationship with you. The gospel 
Christianity, it's not an explanation. It's a revelation. It's, it's a declaration. It's an announcement. I bring you good news. I bring you good news. So here, here's, here's my question to you in close today. Who is Jesus? He cannot become one of the small G gods that continues just to be one of the many that you worship. If you're bowing to money, if you're bowing to knowledge, if you're bowing to sex, if you're bowing to alcohol, if you're bowing and then Jesus becomes just one of many lovers in your life, you don't know him. It requires violent repentance. That's the only way. It's like you are Lord, meaning the one and only master authority that can lead my life. And I would encourage you to settle that today. And then if you do know him, we have just an incredible opportunity to extend the love of Christ and make him known to others. Like St. Francis said, hey, preach the gospel. And when necessary, use words. And a lot of times it's through our actions and our attitude. Hey, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm out here loving on people. I was hanging out with my buddy Dallas on Friday night. This, this made me laugh so hard. Steve, listen to this. This is great. So we're at the Monroe-Loganville football game. High school football. That game went four overtimes before there was a winner. Honestly, I was praying that it would end because my bedtime's at 10, and it was like, this, this is not good. We were so tired. These kids, first game of the season, were exhausted. And the longer the game went, these kids were cramping up, breaking down. I mean, they couldn't hardly walk. First game, heat, you know, the humidity, playing on in brand new, this artificial turf stuff. I mean, these kids are walking around, and this one kid comes off the sidelines, and he's over there, and he's just hurting, and he's hurting. And Dallas, here we are, just hanging out. We're going to watch this game. Dallas goes, man, what's up? He goes, my calf, my calf. This kid lays it down on the ground. Dallas is down with him. Dallas is bending his foot. Dallas is massaging his calf. And when necessary, use words. I was watching that. I told Barb, I said, Barb, it was Dallas being Jesus, not Dallas being Dallas. And I said, I watched that, and here this dude is about to turn 60, rubbing the calf of this little 17-year-old dude. And that dude had no clue who he was. And I said, what? That right there was the gospel. I'm, I'm just standing there going, that's the gospel. Squirting water in the kid's mouth, just trying to help him how we can. And I was like, where you at? Well, here's where I'm at. What's happening? Here's what's happening. You, you say you're the hands and feet of Jesus. What are you going to do? You have that opportunity every day. What's happening? You stop. You observe. You notice. You listen to the Holy Spirit. And it's just like, I did that. And that might not show up in the headlines tomorrow of the Baptist press that you led somebody to Christ. But I'm sure heaven's headlines read, that dude was obedient in the moment to me. That's my boy. 